We're going to go back to 1 Thessalonians. We'll be in chapter 2 today. We finished all of chapter 1 last week. And just by way of reminder, if you weren't here last week, as we jump into this new series, um, the, the great Apostle Paul, the great missionary, probably the greatest missionary of all time, uh, started lots of churches, went on several missionary journeys. And, and he wrote these two letters, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, in real rapid succession to a baby church in a big city. And the Thessalonian church, he started on a second missionary journey. He was there for only a few weeks. He got run out of town. And then just weeks or maybe months after that, he wrote these letters back. And he wrote the letters because these churches were facing cultural opposition uh, to the Christian faith. Just like we would face now, today, in a post-Christian world, that they've faced opposition to the fact that they were taking on this new thing called Christianity. And what was happening is that cultural opposition was affecting the way that they thought. It was affecting their theology, and then that was affecting the way that they lived and their actions. And so Paul wrote these letters to help them to understand how that they were supposed to live as they awaited the return of Christ. And so we've called this sermon series, In the Meantime, with the tagline, the idea being living faithfully for the Lord as we await His return. And we said last week at the end, the very end of uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come, that we need to look forward to the return of Christ, that we want to look forward to the return of Christ, but we want to do it in the right way, that we don't want the cultural opposition, the things that are happening to people who are Christians, to cause us to react wrongly um, and, and think wrongly about the return of Christ. It was happening in the first century, and it happens again today. And we said that the main thing that, that thinking about the end times is supposed to do is to give us hope so that we can live faithfully in the meantime. And so last week we talked about that in chapter 1. It was all uh, the Apostle Paul's commendation of these people for living faithfully. It was all an example. There were no commands. There was nothing in that chapter that said you need to do this or you're not doing this well. It was all a, a, a thumbs up, a good job. To say, here's an example how we can live faithfully in the meantime. Today, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, the idea of faithful ministry in the meantime is what will come out from these verses. So I'll say a few things about ministry. First of all, I love being a pastor. I've been doing it for a little over 20 years, and I love being in ministry. I went to Bible college, not because I wanted to go into ministry, but I went to Bible college, the reason most people go to college as freshmen, to figure out what you want to do with your life, right? And so I went to Bible college, I was going to play soccer, and I ran into some men as professors and pastors who lived out in everyday life and ministry what Paul is going to talk about in 1 Thessalonians 2. I ran into some young men who were my age at that time, who had been deeply affected by pastors and youth pastors who lived out what Paul preaches in 1 Thessalonians 2. And I saw the impact that faithful ministry had on people, and that's what God used to call me into ministry. And so I started in youth ministry while I was still in college, and then God moved me across the country from the East Coast all the way out here to the Promised Land. Amen? That's funny because the people back there say this is Babylon, so you take your pick. But I moved all the way out here to be involved in youth ministry. It was at First Baptist University place for 12 years as a youth pastor before God called me here 
um, to do what he's called me to do here at this church. And I love being a pastor. I love being your pastor and enjoy ministry. Are there hard times and difficulties? For sure. But ministry is exciting and, and ministry is fun. But here's what, what can often happen. You can, when we talk about ministry, you can say that I'm the minister or that Pastor Lauren is the minister and the pastor. So I want to challenge you with these words. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So around here we say every member is a minister, right? Everybody who's a Christian has been called into ministry, has been called a minister. So this morning we're going to talk about and see what it looks like to be faithful in doing ministry and serving and if you're here and you're a Christian, I want you to see that this applies to you. This applies to each of us as we do ministry. It's interesting as I thought about it because you, you think about what happens at Puyallup Community Baptist Church. This stuff doesn't happen without an army of people working together. This doesn't happen with two pastors and a ministry director who we just brought on full-time with Jason. This doesn't happen with just three or four or five people on staff. That kitchen back there took a lot of people. Now, we got two pastors here. One of them knows how to use a hammer. The other one knows how to use a cell phone to call somebody who knows how to use a hammer. Right? Like, that kitchen's not getting done if it's me and Lauren. Lauren will probably hit me with the hammer, and it'd be bad. Right? But because of a group of people who came together and worked together and knew connections and had people that they could bring in from the outside and all this, and we were able to get that project done. Right now in children's ministry... There's 15 or so volunteers working with kids in children's ministry right now to, to, to help teach them the gospel and help them to understand scriptures. There are about 70 volunteers that work on, they're on her Sunday morning roster just for children's ministry on Sunday morning. Melissa has a, a bunch more, I don't even know how many, that work in Awana for kids' ministry. The music team, over 30 people involved in the music ministry. We have so many ministers here. And the, the cool thing is, is that there's ministry that happens outside of here. It's not just what happens in the building, right? That there are people who work with homeschool co-op or uh, work at Christian school, parachurch organizations, CareNet Pregnancy Center, ministry to your neighbors. Uh, I don't know if Helen is here. We have a lady who, she doesn't go to church here, but she's here right now because she travels around and goes to state fairs and just goes in and shares the gospel. And preaches the gospel to, shares, teaches the gospel to people, passes out tracts. People doing ministry in so many different ways. So, what I really want you to see yourself as this morning is I want you to see yourself as a minister. Maybe you're here and, and you know, you've, you've been at a different church and you're trying to find your way. We're glad that many of you, I mean, we've had so many of you who are, are new between the two services. And this isn't a guilt trip to say, get involved right now. But when God has his timing and he's ready for you to get involved, like let's see ourselves as ministers, and then this text will apply to all of us. And what we'll talk about this morning from these verses is four characteristics of faithful ministry in the meantime. Let's give them to you right from the text, and I'll teach each of us how to be better ministers of the gospel right here. So the first one we're going to see is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. That first characteristic of faithful ministry in the meantime is tenacity when it's tough. Tenacity when ministry, when the going gets tough in ministry. Look at 
1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. As I said, Paul had a tough time. He had been kicked out of Philippi. He had been put in prison in Philippi. Then kicked out of Philippi. They, they, he moved on to this next town, Thessalonica. He was there for about three weeks. Saw some converts. And then he had to move on from there. He was under a lot of persecution. And it could have seemed like this ministry was in vain. He showed up for a few weeks. He preached the gospel. It got tough. And he had to get out of Dodge. There would have been people who would have been saying that his ministry there was in vain. That he just came and then he left when the going got tough. He says, our ministry was not in vain. Our coming to you was not in vain. But, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. Again, I read it in Acts 16 last week. That he was physically beaten for his ministry. That they, a group, a rent-a-mob took, took rods and beat him mercilessly. And then they publicly shamed him with a, a trial and threw him into prison. There was physical and emotional pain that Paul had felt. He says, we were shamefully treated at Philippi, and as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Church, ministry is hard. Right? Like ministry can be tough. As a pastor, this morning, I stand in front of you to give you some announcements. Look at our amazing kitchen. My friend has a brain tumor. Ministry's hard, man. You know what that, that does to my mind? You know how hard it is to sit over there and to think, how do I tell these people that we've got a new kitchen and we get to take on new missionaries? The pastor that founded this church is ready to die and one of our like, loyal members has a brain tumor. Ministry's hard. So worth it. And what so frequently happens when things get hard is that people just decide that it's not right and they move on or find the next thing to do. What the Apostle Paul had is something that everybody who ministers the gospel needs. Tenacity when it's tough. This interesting story in Acts 14. This is before the time that we're talking about right now. This is the first missionary journey of Paul. In Acts chapter 14, he had a tough time. And I told the first service, like, Paul got stoned. And it's not Pacific Northwest stoned. Okay? Acts 14, you laughed more than they did. I think that tells us a little bit about you and them. (laughs) It says, but the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They picked up rocks and they smashed him with them until he's laying there in a lump on the ground and they're like, okay, he's dead. We can go back into town. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and then he entered the city. Um, That's not the first place I would have gone. I'm not sure about you, right? He entered uh, entered the city and on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. He gets stoned to the point where they think that he's dead. He gets back up. He goes back into town, moves on to the next place. And what's he do? He just opens his Bible and keeps preaching and teaching. When the going gets tough, he doesn't give up. He doesn't say this isn't worth it or these people can just like go hang themselves. He doesn't do any of those things. Paul's like the spiritual energizer bunny. He he takes a licking and he keeps on ticking, right? He just keeps going and going and going. 
Second Corinthians chapter 11. We won't turn there. You, you, many of you are familiar. When he, he's talking to a group of people and he said, you all think you have so much to boast about. If anybody has anything to boast about, about giving it all for the Lord, he says, I've been shipwrecked on multiple, multiple occasions. Uh, I was beaten on multiple occasions. It just goes down through the list of all of the things that he suffered for the Lord. And he gets up and he keeps preaching and he keeps teaching and he continues on. Ministry's hard. There are tough times. Many of you have been through those tough times in ministry. Many of you have seen a church split. You've seen the fights. You've seen the disagreements. You've seen the failures. You've seen the, the, the infighting. Right? Sometimes even in, in ministry, there's feelings of inadequacy. Like as a pastor, I can get those feelings of inadequacy. Those feelings of failure. And Paul says our ministry was not in vain. He's saying our ministry is not a failure. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because it's worth it. It's not in vain. Be steadfast, be in, immovable. Tenacity when it's tough. One of the things I love about the way that this man writes, the Apostle Paul, is he uses some incredible metaphors. He uses athletic imagery and he uses military imagery all over the letters that he writes to talk about this toughness, this, this tenacity. He calls himself a boxer. He talks about himself as a runner. He talks about being a soldier. All of these things that require great toughness, right? You don't start off on your marathon or your half marathon and, and run the first, you know, 15 minutes and say, you know what? I don't know. This is tough. I think I'll just have a seat on the couch for a while. I mean, if I was running it, that's what I would do, right? Would you imagine a soldier and they're on the front lines and they're getting ready to go into battle and everybody's amped and it's time to go and he goes, you know what, guys, this really isn't good for my mental health. I'm going to take a mental health day today. I'll be back in the barracks, right? No, because when it gets hard and when it gets tough, it's like the old saying goes, the tough get going. You step up and you stand up. And I want you to know that as Christians in a culture that is in opposition to Christianity, it's going to take some tenacity. It's going to take some toughness. Man, I read these New Testament letters. I read stories of persecuted, the persecuted church in other countries right now and the stuff that's happening there. I look at the stuff that we fight about in America as Christians. And the stuff that people get ticked about and leave and get frustrated and upset and fight about. They're like, I'm not sure if it's that important, right? I'm not sure if that, like, the, the ply of the toilet paper in the bathroom and, like, being, like, really persecuted for the cause of Christ, like, really are right there on the same level of stuff that we should complain about. It's just me. But it's so easy to be so comfortable and, like, live in such a comfortable world that we think that somehow, like, that translates into doing ministry. But what we need is tenacity, man. What's causing you to feel like you want to give up? What's causing you to feel like, man, I, don't, I just don't know if I want to volunteer for that ministry anymore. Man, I don't know if I really want to put the effort into that area of service. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain, right? Tenacity when it's tough. Number two, in verses three through six, we're going to see that another characteristic is that we must be trustworthy with the gospel. 
Paul, again, is talking about himself and his own ministry, and he's sharing his example with these people, and he says this. He says, Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. He's talking about his trustworthiness with the gospel. And I want you to look first at verse 4. It says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Here's what that looks like. For many of you, for the profession that you've chosen in your life, um, you had to sit for some sort of boards, take some sort of a test uh, to get a license to be able to do what it is that you do, whether uh, maybe for many of you in the medical profession, legal profession, other places that you have to study hard, you take a test, and then when you pass that test or series of tests, then they give you a license and say, you may now practice the thing that it is that you want to practice. When it says in verse 4 that you have been approved, that's the idea behind that word in the original language, that you sat for a test, you took the test, and that you pass the test and then you were approved to go and practice. The entrusted piece would then be the ensuing ministry. When a doctor takes his boards and becomes a doctor and is licensed, he's then entrusted as patients come in to, to practice his, uh, to, to do his practice with integrity and to do that well. Same with any other profession. That's the idea that Paul is talking about here when he says that we have been approved by God and that we have been entrusted with the gospel. That starts up here. That starts when I stand up here and I open this book. So I believe that what happens up here and what you see modeled up here, whether it's me or Pastor Lauren or another speaker or whoever it is, what you see us do with the text is going to impact and influence everything else that comes out. We say that, that everything like flows from this on Sunday, the pulpit ministry. So I take it very seriously, the work and the effort and the study and, and opening the text throughout the week and thinking through sermon series in advance and all that stuff. Because I want to be trustworthy. In addition to that, that's why we look at children's ministry curriculum and men's ministry and ladies' ministry, the curriculum, the stuff that's going out, so that we can say we're doing the best that we can to put good, trustworthy materials in front of all of you. But then for each of us, whether you are teaching a little kid's Sunday school class or leading a Bible study or being involved in a small group or parachurch ministry outside of church, there's the responsibility to be trustworthy with the gospel. And, and these verses, I'm not going to spend a lot of time unpacking this, but these verses actually give us in verses 3 through 6 like three different aspects of that trustworthiness. You have the message. That's what you say, Right? The message is the what. You have the motives behind that. Why am I up here? Why am I saying it? And then you have the methods, the, the how it's done and how it's said. And did you know that all three are important? That the message and the motives and the method all matter. And here's why. Because as long as there's been a gospel, there have been people using the gospel for personal gain and personal advancement. That's not something new in the 20th century with televangelists or the 21st century century. That's something that's been around since the time of the Apostle Paul. And as a matter of fact, most scholars believe that in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians verses 1 through 12, 
He's actually giving an apologetic for his ministry. He, he's defending himself. They believe that what happened is that Paul uh, preached there, was there for a few weeks, and then left, and then some other people probably came in behind him and were undermining his ministry and saying, he just came to get your money and to get your conversions and then to take off. And they were undermining Paul's ministry. And that's why he says all of these things about not coming to them with flattery. You're not coming to them just to please them, but to please God. And they attack him in his message. And they attack his motives. And they attack the methods. This isn't the only time that happened. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, Paul talks all about it. Because the methods were so important to Greco-Roman people. As a matter of fact, this is interesting if you go, this can be like historically verified. If you go and read other things outside of the New Testament at this time, we have uh, like rock stars today and we have Hollywood movie stars and those that people follow and look up to and think that they're so great from an entertainment perspective. They had people like that in, in the first century as well. But in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, the people who were the orators, the people who were the rhetoricians, those were the people that everyone looked up to. And so these people would come into town. They would travel from town to town and they would come in and they would find an audience and they would gather an audience and they would say things that people wanted to hear. And they would give the quotable quotes. And then they would ask for the money and the money would come in and then they'd take off and they'd go to the next town. And everything that drove them, all of their motives were selfish gain. Every time Paul speaks and preaches, he says, here's my message. My message is the explicit gospel of Jesus. There's one God and I'm not him. That my sin separates me from a relationship with God. That Jesus died in my place for my sin and only by putting my faith in Jesus can I become a Christian. Church, that's the explicit gospel. That's the only message that matters. And I need you to know that, that we live in a world today where churches aren't preaching the gospel, Right? Like churches are preaching health, wealth, and prosperity. Churches are preaching God loves everybody and would never send anybody to hell. And, and He loves you no matter what your orientation is and what your affiliation is. And He just loves everybody. And we're all happy together. That's not the gospel. If we're going to be faithful and trustworthy with the gospel, we have to preach the explicit gospel. And we have to preach the whole counsel of God's Word. One of the things I've been trying to do over the last couple of years is balance our preaching and teaching in the New Testament and the Old Testament to make sure that we're getting the full counsel of God's Word. When Paul was saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders at the end of the book of Acts, he's able to look at them and say, he says that I was able to, I proclaimed to you the full counsel of the Word of God. And we need that to be able to be said here. That we're being trustworthy with the gospel in all aspects. There are people that have the right message, but they have the wrong motives. There are people who have the right message and they have the wrong methods. We believe that the method for proclaiming the gospel begins with preaching and teaching. And it also means embodying the gospel, the message of the gospel. You may wonder, why, why do we just like pick a book or books of the Bible and, and preach and teach through those? Right? Some people do you know, three or four week sermon series on different topics. Some people, the pastor just kind of gives a message on whatever he felt. And I'm not here to knock or question those things. I'm going to tell you why we do what we do here. I want this to be a word-centered church. We want it to be a word-centered ministry, which means that it's a word-centered pulpit. 
and I want God's Word to dictate what we're talking about. Cool story from the first service. I preached on this idea of faithful ministry in the meantime. One of our members in the first service, Sheldon, comes up to me and he says, man, I needed this. Sheldon is a Gideon. Jim buries a Gideon as well. But Sheldon's been at the fair all week, passing out Bibles to people. I think he's running into the opposition, passing Bibles at the Puyallup Fair, <laughs> right? And the guy's almost in tears, and he's like, man, I needed this so much. And he's like, isn't this amazing? Like, right when I needed it, you had it. And I said, brother, I'm just in the next chapter, <laughs> right? The beautiful thing about preaching and teaching through books of the Bible is that the Scripture drives the agenda, and even when we stop and we do like a, you know, a series on other things, whatever it is, we always want the Scripture to drive the agenda for the church so that we can say we're being trustworthy with the gospel. I'll say this, motives are tricky things. I have to be careful whenever I stand on this stage. You know, like standing on a stage in front of a bunch of people can be really freaky, especially when it's you guys that I'm standing in front of. No, but it, it, you have to be careful because it can become a heady thing. You've got to stay grounded. One of the things that we have continued to pray as the church has grown, God, keep us grounded. Like, let us know who we are, who we're not, and keep us grounded. It's what the motives to be right. I'm going to be in here preaching so that we can gain more people, preaching so that we can, you know, pay for more projects. Right motives and the right method. Number three, third characteristic of faithful ministry in the meantime is tenderness, like a mother. Verse seven, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you would become very dear to us. Here's what that word picture is about. When Paul uses that word picture and says that, and he's likening himself to a nursing mother, he's talking about the relational aspects of ministry. Like ministry is about relationships. Pastors get together at conferences and we joke around. You know what the common joke is? Ministry would be easy if it weren't for the people. I shouldn't have told you guys that. Next time I go to a pastor's conference, you're all, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no. But the relational aspect of ministry. If I sat in my office all week and just studied the Bible and read books and did that kind of stuff and then got up in he here on Sunday and preached and then went and hid and then came back and did it again, that's not ministry, right? Ministry is about people. When, he, when he's talking, and he says, we were sharing with you not only the gospel. So the gospel was there. The gospel was front and center. Paul always talks about that. We don't leave the gospel out and just have relationships with people. But when he says we shared not only the gospel of God, but our own selves as well, he's talking about when the phone rings, and you get the call, and the person's sick in the hospital, and you go and visit them. He's talking about what it means to open your home to have people in because you can reach people in ways in your home that you can't in a church building. He's talking about all the ways that we share life and do life together. He's talking about walking through hard times with people, tough times, sicknesses and relationship issues and financial battles and all the things that come up. He's talking about walking through those things with people. In, in faithful ministry, relationships are more important than programs. 
Relationships are more important than projects. This has been one of the great lessons for me in this church over the last nine years because I'm a black and white, program it kind of guy. And when I came to the church, one of the things that Lauren preaches all the time and has talked about all the time is people before programs, people before programs, people before programs. If any of you have been here the amount of time that Lauren has been here, you know that that's one of the things that this church is built on is relationships and people. And it's one of the things that I've had to like wrestle with and really learn is that, that projects are important and that programs are necessary but all of that stuff is supposed to serve people and serve relationships. And by the grace of God, this church is a church where relationships matter. Like most of you could probably say that somebody else in this church is one of your closest friends, closest relationships. Or somebody has come around you in a hard time. You know, we, we find out about Rich on, on Saturday morning. And by Saturday afternoon when I'm talking to Lauren, some of the guys from Rich's small group have already been there to visit. It's not just about a pastor going to visit. Right? It's about people ministering together. When he's using that analogy of being tender like a mother, he's saying relationships are important. Wherever you serve, you serve with little kids, relationships. If you have those Sunday school teachers that you remember from when you were little and, and like they were your Sunday school teacher, remember those days where the Sunday school was your Sunday school teacher for like your whole childhood? I had some of those. And you remember those people. And I remember like the lessons, but then I also remember like the trips that they would take us on and the activities that we would do and the fun stuff and going to their house for a pool party and stuff like that because those relationships matter. Tender like a mother means that relationships matter. The pulpit ministry is primary, but it's not the only ministry. A big piece of that, by the way, is for us availing ourselves to other relationships. Right For us involving ourselves in a men's breakfast or ladies' breakfast or men's Bible study or ladies' Bible study or small group of some sort or serving in some way to avail ourselves to those relationships and also seeing ourselves as relational ministers to other people. Who needs help? Who's hurting? Who can I serve? Who did God bring me into contact with this week that I can serve them and have that relationship care? I'm going to give you point number four. And when you see it, ladies, I want you to complain to the Apostle Paul who wrote it, not to me, okay? We need to be tender like a mother, but we need to be tough like a father as well. And I know we got some tough mothers in here, don't we? Come on. The first service is like, amen, brother. One of them had a coffee mug that said tough as a mother. I'm not sure what that's supposed to mean, but okay. <sighs> Here's what he says. Verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Paul had a full-time job from sun up to sundown, most likely, building tents and selling them to soldiers so that he could provide for himself so that he didn't have to ask this fledgling new group of Christians for money. Paul knew what it meant to make personal sacrifice for ministry. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his money. He sacrificed his comfort. He sacrificed himself. Ministry requires personal sacrifice. And as Paul's going to draw this analogy of being tough like a father, sometimes it's tough to make sacrifices, but good dads make sacrifices. Amen? 
Good dads, that's right, they sacrifice their football time. Good dads sacrifice their exercise time. They call it a dad bod for a reason, right? Yeah. And the truth of the matter is that all of us are called in this way, men and ladies, we are called in this way to be tough, to make personal sacrifice when it comes to ministry. Because we know ministry takes sacrifice, but man, it is so worth it. Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, do not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest. If what? If you do not give up. Right? It's worth it. Verse 10, he says this, you are witnesses in God also of how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. This is personal testimony in verse 10. He's saying we were there and we worked and that was a personal sacrifice, but we had a good personal testimony in front of you. We've all known that person who has done ministry, was really mean and grumpy about it, right? We all know those people who were involved in ministry and then the truth came about who they really were and the testimony was shattered. One of the tough things that we do in ministry is that we set an example for other people in our character, in our blamelessness. And these words are grouped together to make a dual point. This has to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. Am I holy before God and am I blameless before other people? Some of the people that I remember now from when I was a little kid are Sunday school teachers. One of them, his name is Rick Mitchell, Mr. Rick. He was my fourth grade Sunday school teacher. And he was in the Air Force. And he got us on like the Air Force base and these museums and stuff. And it was really cool and fun. But one of the things I remember about Mr. Rick was that he taught us the Bible every week in our little junior church room, fourth grade boys. And there we are all squirrely. And he taught us the Bible. 30 something years later, I'm out here. And my mom gets a Facebook message that Mr. Rick is actually living in the Kent area. is is an interesting story. He worked for Boeing. He lives in Southern California with Miss Gale, his wife, who was one of my school teachers. But then the last couple months, he had to move to work for Boeing here before he could retire. So he drove his motorhome up here, and he lived here. Miss Gale would come whenever she had off. And Mr. Rick ended up sitting right over there where Joe is right now. And I got to preach to him. And it was super cool, man. And some of you might remember Mr. Rick being here, but for a few years, and he'd come over on Sunday afternoons. But you know what I remember about guys like Mr. Rick and and plenty of others? is the lifestyle that they lived. And the fact that here 30-some years later with Mr. Rick, I'm having gospel conversations for a, a guy who's lived his whole life in the military, if you can believe it, as a testimony for the Lord. Sometimes we need tough examples examples and somebody's going to say that about some of you you realize that some of you who are sunday school teachers kids ministry workers whatever you you do someday somebody's going to say those kinds of things about your character and your integrity that's what makes ministry worth it amen verse 11 for you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Like a good dad who is willing to challenge his kids, each of us, to be faithful in ministry, to be prepared to challenge. And those words are an interesting word group as well because what they mean is that sometimes you got to get right in someone's grill. 
Sometimes somebody needs you face to face and eye to eye, speaking truth in love and hard truth in love. Sometimes you need to be side by side with somebody with your arm around them and comforting them and caring for them. And sometimes you've got to be walking side by side and motivating somebody to move forward and challenging them to take the next step in their growth. And all of those are pieces of doing ministry as we challenge people and as we show them the example and we live together. So those are the four characteristics. Tenacity when it's tough. Trustworthiness with the gospel. Tender like a mother and tough like a father. And I want to finish verse 12. He says, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's the in the meantime piece. In each of these sections, Paul comes back and he says, remember, we're looking forward to the end. For those of you who are Christians, that's you. You've been called into his own kingdom. And one day we will experience the glory of God. Amen. We've been called into his kingdom and that in a sense we're living in that right now. But ultimately that will be fulfilled at the return of Christ. And we will live in the glory of God. But in the meantime, we follow faithfully. In the meantime, we minister faithfully. In the meantime, you walk in a manner worthy of God. If you're a Christian, God has called you into his kingdom and glory. He's called you now to be a minister. My challenge this morning is, is where are you ministering or where might God want you to minister? Be strong in that ministry. And if you're not a Christian, again, as every week, I challenge and implore you to consider Jesus. Consider the gospel. Accept Christ as your Savior. Begin to minister for Him as well. Be faithful in the meantime. I ask you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. Father, we love you, and uh, this morning I'm thankful to be able to, to minister your word to all of us. We're thankful for the challenge that it is, and the encouragement and the refreshment that it is. I'm thankful for several reports, even from the first service, of, of the challenge and the refreshment that your word has been. God, I pray that it would continue to be a, a challenge and an encouragement to us. But we're so thankful. For so many people who serve you in so many ways here and outside of here, I pray that you would give us a heart to be people who want to have ministry for you. God, that you would give us the, the clarity to know exactly where that is. God, keep us faithful. Help us to, to remain faithful as we wait for you. Um, that in the meantime, that you would, would find us faithful. God, I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us this morning as we, we go on our way. We ask that you would bless us as we do so. In Jesus' name, amen.